It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome, my friend, to this Saturday morning. It's time for our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC Talk Radio 77. I am James Golden, Bo Snerdly. 800-848-WABC is the number to reach us, 800-848-9222. As always, a lot to do today. We will hear later in the show from our very own Princess Di, of course. America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock, is on the road today. She left us a little message, though, so we will check in with her. Also... Your calls, we expect to be a big part of the program. There is a lot going on in the country, as always. And a lot going on in New York with this massive fine leveled against Donald Trump. Basically, the New York judicial system, the Democrat-run, weaponized judicial system, is part of a larger strategy employing part of a larger strategy to drive Donald Trump out of public life, to strip him of his wealth, and to hurt his family, make sure that they can never do business again. This is political. Before we get to any of that, though, today is February 17th. Go, and about this time, I got a telephone call uh, from Craig Kitchen, who was the... uh, then with Premier Radio Networks. And he advised me before I was heading into work that day that Rush Limbaugh had passed that morning at about 6 o'clock in the morning. So uh, that's about an hour ago, three years ago. And for the last three years, I've, I've talked on occasion about my times with Rush. I, of course, I wrote a book about it. I don't hawk the book and and do it. It's there for people that want to read. It's called Rush on the Radio. I don't, um, I, I try to keep measured about how much I talk about Rush and how much I refer to the 30 years, 30 years that I spent with him. Uh, Princess Di, who is with us also, is a longtime veteran of the Rush Limbaugh program. For those of you that don't know, she was the editrix of the Limbaugh Letter, the most widely read political newsletter in America. She is an amazing editor. She's an amazing writer. She's an amazing human being. I love her dearly. We have, we've been workmates for three decades. Uh, some of the other voices that you've heard on this program, Dean Carianis was with the web crew there. Dean is our historian, and Dean, um, <clears throat> Dean was one of the web producers. For Rush, and he would come on occasionally, and we talk about Rush, and we talk about our time there, but we also keep forward talking about the events of today. Derek Hunter, who is standing by, was the very last new guest host that we introduced to the Rush Limbaugh audience. He came with us and did a show with us when Rush was was ailing, and from the disease that eventually took him away from us, and Derek has been kind enough to join us every week, and you hear with Derek the kind of a wit and the kind of intelligence, political intelligence, that is extraordinary 
and that was what we were looking for on the Rush Limbaugh show where we had people like Mark Stein, for instance, and I have not talked about this horrible judgment yet that came out in D.C. a few weeks ago against Mark Stein, who has been under attack from these climate nuts. That's uh, That case had been going on for 10 years, was settled unfavorably for Mark, but I know that Mark is not going to give up on that. Mark is one of the most intelligent people on the planet, and we would grace to have him as a guest host. But the loss of Rush on the political landscape of America is, to me, incalculable. And for weeks I've been thinking, okay, here we go, February 17th is coming up. What am I going to write? What am I going to say? What am I going to write in the daily BS about it? Well, the days here, it's still difficult for me to talk about it. In fact, one of the things that's odd for me is that I find it more difficult now to, to talk publicly about my time with Rush than I did right afterwards. It's just something I can't explain it. It hasn't become easier. It's become harder. The emotions are, I guess it's really sunk in now. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. And, of course, that was a hellacious week for me. I lost my my pet bird on Monday. That Wednesday, Rush died, and then three days later, my mother passed away. It was one of those periods in life that I just, it was I was shell-shocked. Uh, so rather than write a long essay today in the Daily BS, I decided to do something different, and I'm going to invite you to, rather than what I think, what you think, what you think Rush's impact was. I remember one of his last broadcasts, people asked Rush, a person called, I, I put the call through to him, is it time to panic? This was a question that Rush used to take quite often. Things look so dismal out there, is it time to panic? And Rush said no. And he almost sounded a little exasperated. And no, it's not time to panic. And he said it will never be time to panic because America will always be worth saving. How did Rush impact your life? If you have a Rush story and you want to share it with us, you can do that. You can share it with us at the Daily BS. You can share it right here on Boston Early's Radio Extravaganza, the Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. I do know this, and I will always know this, that Rush was the, the quintessential definition of optimism. No matter how bleak things were, he always had an optimistic, reassuring Voice in times where we were, when we come in with something terrible had happened in the country, the thing that everyone, well, what's going to happen at twelve oh six when that mic opens? And he, and and he never failed to deliver something that made people feel better about the current situation that was taking place in the country. And he would not fail if he were here today to do the same thing. There's also a piece in the Daily BS from Sabo, the street artist, and there is a, there are two stories concerning Sabo. Sabo has a work of art called Rush in Heaven that is just incredibly beautiful. And the it is featured today, the story of how it came about in the Daily BS, and also Sabo wrote his own piece called Rush Was Our Goat. There's no equal. He made it look easy. He's one of the people that was impacted greatly by Rush's life, as millions were. The single largest audience ever, Rush changed the media landscape in America 
one man. The print, the electronic, all of it was changed due to the success, the overwhelming success of that program. And the program and the success are one thing, but what I miss most about Rush is who he was. A gentle spirit, profoundly intelligent, a very different perspective on looking at everything, very generous, very real, very also capable of getting totally ticked off if you screwed up his show. Because that show, his show, he said over and over to us that work, the show is the thing. He was totally committed to that show. In fact, there are many people, I often said this, that facing what he faced with the lung cancer that he had would have taken off that last year and just tended to themselves. But every single day that he could come to work and be behind that microphone, he was there. And I have to tell you, sitting across and looking at him some days and, and after the show, there was there were a few days there that he could barely get up out of his chair because he was so exhausted from dealing with that disease. But during the show, you would never know it because his energy level was the same. It was his, you listen and it's like, he, he's not sick. He was remarkable. He was a remarkable human being. Three years have passed. And, and it, it seems to me almost like yesterday. Um, it, it still seems like it's a bad dream. But enough of me. Derek, how are you this morning, Derek? Um, sad now. <laughs> I'm buried in snow, cold, and we could listen to you talk about Rush for for hours. It's just why I'm kind of pissed that you didn't do an audio version of your book, by the way. Why didn't you? It's coming, actually. I'm gonna I'm going to refresh the book, and there will be an audio version. There are a lot of reasons that I don't want to get into why that didn't happen, but it's going to come, and I'm going to do a new chapter. And you make me do an announcement I didn't want to do yet. Oh, we're Good. still. Well, those this of is all us who underway. didn't learn to read, who never learned to read, <laughs> live in the uh, the audiobook world. Actually, when I go to the gym, I listen to audiobooks more than I. I don't listen to music when I work out, so I miss. Uh, I wanted to, to hear it. I look. Rush changed me. I remember Rush back as early as 1989 on what was then WXYZ radio in Detroit became WXYT before he moved over to WJR. It was different. I don't, I don't remember. I know that the, as I I worked on FCC issues, I know that the fairness doctrine was repealed in the late eighties by Ronald Reagan. And that changed the options in radio but radio, having that freedom, having the shackle of the fairness doctrine tossed off of it, people don't know what the fairness doctrine is, it required equal time. It basically made radio Melba toast. The host would play devil's advocate. They wouldn't take opinions. And whatever right. the, the issue of the day was, they would just play devil's advocate on to try and roll calls to try. And that was what passed for radio, for talk radio. And it was, I'd, I'd imagine, a special sort of hell. Then they got rid of that because there were enough media outlets that you didn't need to control radio like that. And Reagan had enough confidence in ideas that conservatism would win. And he didn't have to worry about controlling it. Liberals wanted control to prevent conservatism from being out there. But nobody took advantage of it, not in any meaningful way, certainly not in any impactful way, until Rush came along. And when you heard him 
compared to you can't compare Rush the first time you heard him back in the late 80s, early 90s to if you discovered Rush in the 2000s. It's just different. You were so used to what he was doing being aped everywhere. You didn't appreciate, you didn't know that he was the first person to do it. Neil Armstrong was the first man to walk on the moon, but he didn't wear a, I was the first person to walk on the moon t-shirt everywhere he went, right? Rush was right. that kind of way. You didn't, you, you knew he was the best at it if you discovered him later just because of, of birth, but you didn't realize that he was the originator of it too. And that's what I, I'm worried that people don't realize is it's one thing to be the best at it. But he created it, too. He saved radio. He changed radio. And sadly, I think radio didn't learn any of the lessons from Rush. And now you end up with pale comparisons, pale imitations, pale... I don't know about that. I think I, that there is so much talent. Now, there, but I don't, let me just mention one thing to you, because you did garbage. say something that just really... You, you said something that actually uh, triggered... I remember very early on in in the control room, a woman, I will never forget this call. Rush was talking about Ted Kennedy, mm. Senator Ted Kennedy. And an elderly sort of woman called, and she was crying because she said, Rush, and I'm, of course, paraphrasing, you are going to be arrested. <laughs> Nobody is allowed to mock the Kennedys, and he was he was he had a parody song, Ted Kennedy, Mama Rosie, on my chest. Uh, of course, the brilliant parody. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the, a lot of that work from Paul Shanklin. I'm uh, a philanderer. I'm a show Mama Rosie on my chest. Yeah, I remember. Right, I'm a, a philanderer. I'm a philanderer. I sleep yeah, philanderer. around I'm a philanderer. <laughs> and it was mocking Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy voice, and he would talk about him. He'd talk about Chappaquiddick. And talk about, and and this woman was afraid because never in her life in the media had she heard anybody that had that point of view. It just simply didn't happen. No one mocked the left. Rush would talk about uh, some of the figures that were present in the media, like Walter Cronkite, and just say this guy was a total liberal. Nobody talked about Walter Cronkite like in political terms like that, but Rush did. And then when he wrote a book, when he wrote his first book, which just blew the, it blew up. Uh, the sales were in the millions on his book, both the hardcover and paperback. And that's where he introduced the true story of Thanksgiving. And most Americans never understood that part of American history what Thanksgiving was truly all about uh, is something that we read from every Thanksgiving. And you can go on and on during the 30 years and, and point to, he was, I, I look at some of the things that he did talking about, for instance, what the, w when this business first started with climate change, he was all over it and warned they are coming after your car, they're coming after your SUVs. And he would do it in a way that was humorous, too. An SUV killed this person, SUV, because that was the way it was reported. But the point that he was, the deeper point that he was making right now, we see what has happened. And we're seeing what, what is happening with this, this push 
to push people out of their fossil fuel cars and, and their appliances and all that. He talked about all of these things and that were happening in society. He did it in a humorous way, but he also warned America of the danger of liberalism and clearly defined it and defined what a conservative, what conservative thinking was. People that would say, I didn't know I was a conservative before I started listening to you. And that was the danger. And that was why the left went on a, on a, an attack on Rush. And the, the, if you look at the attacks on Rush and you look at what Donald Trump is facing today, it is part of the same machine. Derek, we have to take a break. Um, I'm going to come back and then get some more of your thoughts. And we have people that want to respond, too. So let's take some telephone calls, Derek. Let's do it. But first, James Golden, AKA. Speedwagon. It's a couple skate. Derek did a music introduction. Whoa. It's a couple skate, Jane. My sister loved this record. My sister has horrible Mario taste Speedwagon. in music. <laughs> on WABC Talk Radio 77. Coming back, your call is part of the program, so keep it right here on WABC Talk Radio 77. Back in a moment. But you never Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Music from Derek's generation. Today's the birthday of Billy Joe Armstrong. Some people who are not fans call him something else. Rhymes with Joe. Billy Joe Armstrong. Singer, songwriter, musician, guitarist, multi-instrumentalist with Green Day. Wait, what? Yeah, I don't know. I what is, what are they Derek call right it? now I with don't... his long hair, like like playing the air guitar to Green Day. I, uh, they have a couple of songs I enjoy, but I yeah, don't. I knew it. But their 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 uh, their politics are crap. I don't. I just call him a jackass. What what rhymes with Joe that is like offensive that you can't say on the radio? Give me a hint. I don't know. The H word. The H word. Um like the garden yeah. tool? Yeah, the garden tool. The garden tool. Um Yeah, yeah Diego had a story about that. What would Diego did want it? It's easier. My, uh, run, my band in high school, the guitarist was a Green Day hater and the singer was a Green Day fan, so he would always troll her by saying, "Oh, Billy Whole Armstrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Billy Backhoe. Is, you know, he's on the construction site. Exactly. Oh, look. It's, Derek, it's you, you you probably... Derek, Derek, did you go yes. nuts over the Jonas Brothers, too? Were you, like, sitting with your air guitar doing the Jonas Brothers thing in the mirror? No. I. If you offered me your millions, James, I could not name a single Jonas Brothers song. I will tell you that I had a brush with the Jonas Brothers at one of the uh, White House... At the White House Correspondence Dinner in 2008, they, uh, my date stalked them. They were, I don't know, they were pretty young. She's probably a pervert, but she wanted to get her picture taken <laughs> with them. She wanted to get her picture taken with them, and I snapped a photo of uh, her and two of the Jonas Brothers as they were whisked through with uh, their bodyguard. 
And, uh, yeah, that was it. That was about as close as it came. I knew who they were. I knew that, uh, like, BTS. I couldn't name you one BTS. I don't know what BTS sounds like, something you need to take a pill or a shot once a day for. But apparently the kids go crazy for it. And um, I don't know anything about them. But if I, I'd go, they're, they're the, the five-looking effeminate guys over there, right? Yeah, that, yeah that, I, I'm not going to say that. Well, I, I did. Just my, my experience with the Jonas Brothers is through uh, South Park, and one of the funniest episodes I have ever seen in my life on TV, which is uh, the South Park, uh, the Jonas Brothers meet Mickey Mouse, pretty much, and it is hysterical. In fact, I just I couldn't believe that 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 South Park didn't get sued by Disney for that episode. It was hysterical. <laughs> Well, they probably uh, Mickey Mouse pretty much. If you haven't seen it, beats the living s out of the Jonas brother, and it's just it's hysterical. Beats the living sandwich but, uh, out of them. What do you mean by s? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> we're talking uh, about we, uh, <laughs> we're talking about. We have calls, Derek. Let's take a few, and then unless you wanted to respond to anything that with with you know the whole media landscape and. One of the things that I remember Elizabeth Slaughter from New York and others in Congress, Derek, came up with this thing that we call the hush rush bill. They actually wanted legislation to shut him up. They wanted to reinstate the, the fairness doctrine. Every once in a while they come around to doing that. And it is insane. And it was because of Rush. I haven't heard a single push to look. Nobody's as impactful as as Rush since we lost him. Rush used to make news. When Rush said something, it would make news. Organizations propped up just to, you know, stir up liberals and about what he said and try and ban advertisers. Just nobody has that kind of impact now. The medium is still there. It matters on a local level, but I just don't, I don't see it mattering on a national level. Nothing these people do or say is is as impactful as it. Rush could. Look, if Rush, somebody, I remember the website was the People's Cube. It was a, like a, a conservative-ish comedy. It was a comedy site that had a conservative bent, an anti-communist bent. And I remember they called in somehow, and uh, they got past you, which is a miracle in and of itself. And they uh, were talking about it, and Rush, they said, can we give out the website? And Rush said, and he said this to a lot of people, when they, they said, can I give out the website? He said, well, you can, but... I'd be ready because it's going to, <laughs> it's going to collapse it. The second you right. give out the website, your website's going to crash. And everybody, right. it didn't matter if it was the people's cube, it didn't matter what it was. It was like, ah, no, we're fine. We're fine. Cause their website had never crashed. They've had some really good days on them. Everybody had some really good days on their website. Nobody was, nobody's servers were prepared for when their website was mentioned on Russia's show. It just collapsed. Things. It crashed immediately. If he mentioned casually a book, it shot to the top of the Amazon charts. There is nobody anywhere close to that. I uh, can promise you that. I experienced it. You, I guess Tucker did a good job for my book, but everybody else, you'd monitor it, and you go, okay, that didn't do anything. That didn't do anything. But Rush, his audience, he didn't have to say, Rush didn't say, go buy this book or go to this website. He mentioned that he liked the book. He mentioned that he went to the website. And the people, his listeners, 
wanted to know why. Look, if it if Rush talked about a particular sandwich, I would go, well, it must be a good sandwich. He wouldn't have right. to sit there and tell me, this is the best sandwich, and do a five-minute monologue about how this sandwich is wonderful. You just knew, hey, if Rush was into it, it's got to be pretty damn good. We don't have anybody remotely close to that, and we probably never will again. There might be a little, on a local level, absolutely, but on a national level, the guy crashed websites. It was just, it was just funny to me that before you mention it, be aware, and I'm sure everyone was going, oh, I can handle that. Don't worry about it. And then they spent the next five hours dealing with their webmaster going, please, can we get this back up? Please, can we get this? What happened? (laughs) <laughs> and in Long Island, you're on WABC Talk Radio 77. And in Long Island with, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, and in Long Island, you're on with uh, with James Cullen and Derek Hunter. One How thing are you, Rush man? never did was choke on introductions of callers like that, James. For shame. Yes, well, there's reasons. <laughs> Hello, Anne, are you with us? Anne is off listening somewhere, and 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 that Can never you blame happened her? either. My my uh, startling, scintillating I commentary would... there about. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome, my friends. Our number duo underway here on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. If you would like to be part of today's program, 800-848-WABC is how you reach us, 800-848-9222. Bob Brown, I got to ask you a question, Bob. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Bob. I have a story in front of me, Bob. Let her rip. From the New York Daily News today. I guess the two I sent you don't didn't make the cut <laughs> i didn't see them i told the guys in the control room i didn't send them they two didn't stories why didn't you tell them guys i not i didn't tell you i'm sorry bo he, he sent you he sent you two hey. stories bo don't you check email well i guess it's hard on the air when you i'm working i said to you what it's seven o'clock i said give me I'm a, i have a cast coming up let me let me get through the cast and I'll and I'll give you a couple of stories. I got a couple of stories. I want to do what good, stories I, did you send me? I Tell s- me what. I wonder if one of them is the one I sent you. No, no. Maybe it could be House Intelligence on the um, the threat from Russia with developing nuclear capable weapons in space. Ooh. President Biden says Putin's responsible for the death of uh, Alexei Navalny. We, I thought we'd talk about those two things. Well, fine. The heck with it. What I mean, do you yeah, got? What do you got? Talk about another one. Yeah, I was just going to talk about some Bronx teenager shooting up a subway station, and his mommy says, "Oh, he's only sixteen. He's only 16. Was this the Mount Eden the subway uh, shooting? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. He's only sixteen. Well, what the hell is he doing with a gun shooting up a subway station? What were what were the juveniles in Kansas City at the parade doing with the gun? The teens there. And do you know out in Kansas City, the prosecutors first said they were going to prosecute these as an adult, and now they sent these two. They they sent them to juvie. Mm, They're in that, juvie, yeah. right? And I people are. That out, this let's morning. talk. All right, let's talk about this deal because, of course, when you go up against Vladimir Putin, there are consequences. It's we are. This is 
How many times have we seen the story of someone opposed to Vladimir Putin who either ends up in what we in the United States would call an Arkansas or some other kind of tragic end, but the person is dead. And it doesn't matter what country they come from. They could be in Britain, like the guy that was poisoned over there, with as it was, what was it, a tip of an umbrella with some poison in it, or uh, radiated? The general in Ukraine, right, with the plane crash? Right. No, this gentleman, although this gentleman seemed to have a longer lifespan, he's been challenging... uh, He's been challenging Putin for years, and, you know, he did send him to Siberia and all that, but eventually uh, he got it in the end. So, um, Mr. Uh, and, and what's funny, and it's not funny, of course, but when you watch the uh, Tucker Carlson, did you see the Tucker Carlson interview? I did online, see the right? Tucker Carlson so interview. So you, you watch that, and you get to, ah, not a bad dude. You know, he's talking with Tucker Carlson. It's like, yeah, and he says, anything else I can help you with? And, you know, for a few seconds, you say to yourself, ah, he, he could be, maybe, possibly, potentially be a nice guy. But then you see stuff like this, and it goes all out the window. Aside from the fact that I was impressed with the Tucker interview, this guy can reel off a, a, a thousand years of history without oh, notes. You see that? Remember? Didn't Tucker yes. say he, he had to edit that down because he wouldn't stop? No? It was, like a, that? it was a filibuster. It was ridiculous. But here's the thing. In Russia today, you know, you, do you know that overnight people that have laid floral wreaths or, you know, go out when someone dies, and like, you, you go lay a flower, put flowers. Overnight, Russia, somehow or another, all the tributes to Alexei um, Navalny have been removed from Russian cities. They're gone. Overnight. So these floral tributes to the people, the people in Russia, gone. And you talk about an iron grip on a country. Putin has an iron grip on Russia that should petrify lovers of freedom everywhere around the world and it is but it is real and this is Mm -hmm. but but this is the danger when you have a one-party rule and one party that has weaponized the entire government so that your opposition hint hint can be crushed this is what you end up with what is taking place in russia right now it's awful. Anything it's terrible. Him? It's uh, you know, president for life. What did he? What did they? Did someone say? One of the correspondents said yesterday his uh, he had a ninety-two to two ratio that he was going to be reelected, but it wasn't good enough, so he still had to kill this guy. You know, like the opposition. It's got to be ninety-two zero, if you know what I mean. In his book, can't have a tenth of an opposition. It's almost that's like, what it was like. Do you remember when Saddam Hussein used to run for election? And used to get an election, what they called an election, and used to end up with over ninety-five percent of the vote. And then it was like hmm, only ninety-five percent. Right, right. You mean there are five percent of the country that said no? Heads off. Let's find Go them and get rid right. of them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Very, okay. What was the other story you sent me, Bob? What did I say? Oh, I sent you about the uh, the uh, the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, they want President Biden to uh, release. Um, Basically, hacked the class of my information reacting to the uh, threat of Russia again uh, in space, threatening uh, with uh, threatening the U.S. Possibly very, with, very serious. Can, talking yes, about, yes. Uh, the Chairman Turner. 
So Chairman right. Turner goes out. He says, and, and he says there there is a very serious threat to America, and I'd like the president to declassify all the information. He's a Republican, mm-hmm. House Intelligence mm-hmm. Committee. Well, Republicans turned on him. Some Republicans, how dare he make this public? They they briefed everybody in Congress, and then the White House, of course, White House furious that it came out. Why are they furious that we know? Here's the deal, folks. What has happened, and, and by the way, in the Tucker interview that Bob referenced, uh, Putin alluded to this, that Russia has still been working up their capabilities. And so now what we've learned, capabilities are in space, that they could knock out our military response mm-hmm. to attack in outer space by knocking out satellites. It's a game That's changer the... when you think about it, right? Everyone thinks about the horror of nuclear war and that it would be, you know, it would be earth to earth, country to country. But you didn't, now it's it, the future is in space, right? The threat is in space. No. And then that a... points to all the people that were laughing when Donald Trump was saying we have to do a space force. That was ridiculed. What do you mean a space force? We don't need a space force. People mocking, oh, they have a logo that looks like Star Trek. Yeah, well, one of the... This uh, is not a laughing matter. It was, um, I'm sorry, the Florida Congressman Mike Waltz was on um, uh, Casting Cosby this week talking about this, and I think this was brought up four years ago, just to what you were saying, and nothing was done. Yes. Yes. And so this is now a threat. And, And absolutely the American people should be aware of it. What are we spending our time with in this country? We're spending our time worrying about Dauphany. We're spending our time worrying about these outrageous lawsuits like to take place in New York, in New York where they're trying to basically cripple uh, Donald Trump and his family from and, and trying to interfere with the 2024 election. I'm not asking you to comment on that. That's political. We're looking at all this stuff, whether boys should be in girls' bathrooms, whether, whether uh, this group, whether we should be uh, from the government uh, supporting measures that discriminate pe- uh, for people on the basis of race. This is all the stuff Americans are consumed about. Mm-hmm, what, are, what are they consumed about in Russia? How do we kill Americans? How do we take out Americans? What are they consumed with in China? How do we destroy America's economic system? And by the way, do it from, from within America. How do we implement all sorts of apps like TikTok, and tame, and all this stuff to get data coming in from the United States. These people are serious about the about trying to crush America, and we in this country seem to be oblivious to what the real threat is. Is my point of, of view. I don't know how you come in on that. I I agree, totally agree. Totally. I mean, we we have to have we have to have invest. I mean, this is old news already. We have to have investigations about. When President Biden attended a wedding seven years ago and he hugged somebody and it was considered that um, uh, the person he hugged didn't felt that it was a violation or something like that. And we have to launch an investigation uh, because the way he uh, he kissed somebody at a wedding. I mean, it's oh, speaking a little of off that, the charts. Speaking of that, have you seen what the I don't know whether. I know how I'm reading this. Have you seen the Matt Gates stuff that's in the headlines today? I didn't see that. No. Oh, oh well, I'm gonna. You have to pay attention because I'll get to it later. I can't find it. Right, it's buried in my stacks of paper. That I think this is. Oh, he, okay, Matt. Here's your payback. There's a story out today about some woman 
raising allegations that Matt Gates took her on some sex-fueled orgy somewhere, and apparently the DOJ and the House Ethics are looking into it. And that story is in the UK Daily Mail today. It's like when I first saw this, I said, oh, here we go. It's time for Matt Gates to get his payback mm-hmm. for his role in taking uh, Kevin McCarthy out. And that's the way I'm reading it. I... I'll have to find the story so we can get uh, so we can get more detail on it. It doesn't end. I'll find it the does, story. It, I, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be listening. It doesn't end, does it? It just doesn't. Nope. Right. Nope. Do it to us. And then, we're going to do it to you. And then, on top of everything, you have the house. I'm going to try. I'll see whether Princess Di wants to talk about this later. You have the house that declared went out two week recess, and and Washington is fuming. How dare they take a two week recess? Without giving funds to Ukraine, how dare they do all of this? It's like, really? And Joe Biden, who has spent 40% of his presidency on vacation, is now complaining that the House should not have taken a vacation. So <laughs> it's, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing, yeah. the stuff that's going on here. By the way, um, have you been following, did you see any of the uh, the, the DA f- Fanny Willis uh, testimony yes, there, Bob. I, I saw. I saw. I watched her dad yesterday. I yeah. saw her uh, the other day. You know, we keep. Um, I I heard some of her testimony on was it Thursday? Was it no Thursday? Because uh, we played some of it on the news. So I heard some of her testimony, and I heard more though of her dad's testimony. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just. Um, I don't know. It was, um, yeah, you had to watch it. Her father, <laughs> I mean. What are you not saying here? What are you not saying? Come on, tell us what. <laughs> no, no, because every, every, channel, every channel you turn to is on, but, uh, well, no, I mean, it was, uh, I don't know what to say. I really don't. I mean, you, you said it a few minutes ago. This whole investigations of this and that person is, it's nuts. It's crazy. But I, I when you, when you see her father on the stand, and how could you not watch it? When you see her, her on the stand, how can you Watching not watch the train it? wreck? Yeah, watch the train wreck. And why? And and by the way, and why are the cable news networks basically doing this? In part, well, because it's news. This is what it's, it's ratings. News, it's ratings. It's, it's ratings. I found the Matt Gate story. Uh, you you want to hear it? Sure. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Buckle in, folks. We got no, we got a new scandal this morning. Here's the Matt Gates story, Daily Mail UK headline: Woman claims she had sex with Matt Gates at a drug-fueled orgy. Okay, a woman claimed that she had sex with Matt Gates at a drug-fueled orgy that she was paid to attend after bombshell text surfaced suggesting Gates had solicited her for a three-day excursion to the Florida Keys. Hmm, she was paid. What is that? Okay, let's continue. The woman's warrior told the Daily Beast that she was paid to attend multiple sex parties with people in Gates Circle and on occasion had sex with the Republican representative. So now not only is Dafani boinking her subordinate, but right now old married Matt Gates who took down Kevin McCarty is being accused of having multiple sex, multiple sex with a woman at a drug-fueled orgy. The shocking 
Revelation I'm, I'm, follows Gates spokesperson denying the congressman's knowledge of the woman when ABC News reported text messages showing Gates had arranged a trip and his associate Joel Greenberg was paying her for sex. He was paying, someone was paying her for sex. What does that make her, by the way? Never mind. Um, I'm, the ethics I'm, committee. Ahead, I'm, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> the ethics committee, which has nothing else to do, had a meeting behind closed doors on Thursday to discuss the allegations against Matt Gates. So there you have it. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> but am I but the question is, am I really shocked? <laughs> I'm shocked. I know too. what the I'm question I, can I I know what the question is no. I am like I am so I not burned out, but I'm just it's just like I've built up a resistance to a lot of this stuff. Haven't you in a way? I mean I know it's our business to stay involved and on top of it, but you become numb after a while, don't you? A little bit? Well even for people in well, the news business, no? No. I am I am totally titillated by this news. No, no, you it's you scandal. are, but I'm, I'm just, the, the I can't shock, wait for the next installment. The shock value, though, does it wear off a little bit with you sometimes? Yeah, it wears off a little bit. Like I said, the first, my first reaction was, oh, here's the payback. Let's go after Gates now. He took down Kevin McCarthy. Let's go after him. That was my first reaction. I'm sorry. Nothing really shocks me that much anymore. It really doesn't. Well, we'll have to find something to change. Find that. something for me. <laughs> we'll find, find something, something to shock me. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Bob. Bob Mets, Brown, Mets will win the World News. Series, maybe, the Yankees, or whatever. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl. Cowboys. Um, yeah. <laughs> that would be shocking. Always great talk with you, Bob. Good speaking with you. That sounds like the Queen. Yep. It is indeed. Is that her? Yeah, the Queen. You know what? I can I just can I just say this? I know I'm going to get a lot of fury for this. I have never understood how this voice gets to be the number one thing in show business. I'm sorry. I've never understood how this thin, squeamy little voice. I'm sorry. She's immensely talented. I'm not knocking that. She's very, very talented, and Mr. Z is too. And the empire that the Z's have created, incredible. Still, I don't like her voice. I never liked her voice. We gotta, we'll, both nerdy. I'm not going to Anyway, uh, 800-848-WABC. Coming back. Right after this. Keep it right here. This is the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. 1975, ACDC releases their debut album, High Voltage. Oh, man. The album featured a cover of Baby, Please Don't Go. There's another title that I can't... <clears throat> Do she's got? Let me just use a substitute. She's got gonads. And uh, anyway, ACD, of course, ACDC 
You know what? You know whose birthday it is today? Hey, Derek, this will get you going. It's the uh, birthday of Taylor Hawkins. American drummer worked with Alanis Morissette. He was with her during the uh, Jagged Little Pill tour, and before, that was before he joined the Foo Fighters. And Derek always says I name drop when I talk about the Taylor Hawkins Memorial Concert that I went to over in London. We have phone calls. People have been holding. I want to get to them. So let's do that here. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Gino in Staten Island, you've been waiting a while. How are you, Gino? Oh, you're always worth waiting for. You're the best. You're a paisano. You're a great guy. And I want to just mention uh, this horrible thing with Trump. Uh, Letitia James is a, it's a damn communist. She's anti-capitalist. This is only going to discourage big business. Half a billion dollars is a disgrace. He created thousands of jobs. He brought billions of dollars of revenue into New York and around the world, across the country and other states. It's a disgrace. And the bottom line is we also see with these punks, these uh, un- unvetted punks, they're going to, if you're looking to house them here on Fort Wadsworth on Staten Island, which is, that's just dynamite. It's insanity. The only good thing is on Staten Island, we have Dr. Esposito and Dr. Powell. They help American veterans and their service animals. And thank God for pause of war. They're taking care of veterans and their animals. Keep up the great work. And let's pray for all the people, especially one of the Beach Boys. He has a conservatorship now. Has dementia. Yeah. Brian, Brian, has Brian Wilson, uh, was, is, his family has applied for conservatorship of his, uh, his his finances and so forth because he has uh, been diagnosed with uh, dementia. And certainly, hearts go out to him. There was a story in Fox News to the point, and I'm looking for the story now so I can get it for you. I had it in order, but of course things get out of order when you're going through them. That there are businesses in New York who might be questioning leaving New York. Will this verdict actually impact businesses in a negative way by looking at, thank you, Derek Hunter Respond, a name dropper. Thank you, Derek. Um, will businesses now leave New York because of this verdict and looking at the banana republic type justice system that business owners will face because of this judgment. There's also another story in Politico. Can Trump pay? What if he doesn't? And you got to, these are two civil judgments. It's not just this one. Of course, it's the one. And this one, I still don't understand how it happened, that verdict in that E. Jean Carroll business. This woman doesn't remember a thing. She just comes up with an allegation. Oh, he did this to me. Oh, he's guilty. And let's, 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 it's just insane. It's insanity on parade. But together now, you were talking about, when you look at these verdicts, I think I read $540 million that New York political witch hunt trials, and this is before we get to this Stormy Daniels nonsense, that should never be a trial. Folks, they are trying their best to make sure that Donald Trump does not have the resources to run for office, that he will be wiped out personally, that his family will be destroyed, and that never again, this is a message, you go against us, you rail against the system, 
We will take you out. There is a story that was in Government Exec. Government Exec is a website for government workers. I read it. And right now, the Biden administration is trying to put up roadblocks to keep Donald Trump from reorganizing the government should he win election again. They want to insulate federal workers from being terminated. They want to make sure that all these union federal workers that are there cannot lose their jobs. In other words, we've created this big government, and how dare Donald Trump talk talk about limiting any government. And they are trying to do right now, create legal roadblocks in case he does win to cripple a second term of Donald Trump. Here's a story I alluded to earlier. Trump's penalty could cause New York business exodus to Florida as New York State becomes a legal banana republic. Experts. So the experts are now weighing in. New York AG Letitia James and liberal interest in the state appear to be seeking political death by exposure of Trump. Legal experts analyze what they call breathtaking civil penalties penalties against uh, former President Donald Trump, Don Jr., Eric Trump, former Trump Organization controller, et cetera, et cetera. New York judge, political hack, Arthur Egron found them guilty for more than $350 million in damages. The three Trump family members also banned from serving as executives of any business or legal entity based in New York. This goes on for years. And the warning is, other businesses are looking at this, and they're saying, you know what, might be time to get out of New York. If this is the way that business is going to be conducted in New York, maybe it's time to leave New York. Now, you think about that. Is that what you want, New Yorkers? Do you want businesses to finally say, okay, we've had enough. Never mind all the rampant crime. Never mind all the other stuff that, the, that these Democrats will not address in this city. They will ruin you personally if they don't like you here. That's what the, that is, that ought to scare you a little bit. James Golden, Snurley here, WABC, coming back. More of your calls coming up. Keep it right here on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Saturday morning radio extravaganza is in your ears. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. It's time. You have to get up. Everybody up. Oh, oh, that hurts. Oh, man, that hurt. Okay, shake it. This is not a tribute to Duff Fanny, but it's time to move your fanny. That's right. Carl says, come on, man. You got more moves than that. There you go. Diego's actually up rocking. Tom got kind of, kind of, my boy got some rhythm up in here. <laughs> yeah, TJ's up. I'm up. <laughs> Bob Brown's not up. Bob's not up. Tell Bob, get, get up, Bob. 
Midway through the program, ladies and gentlemen, every week. We do the Saturday morning, the Saturday morning dance. And it's the morning dance. Spiral Gyro on WABC Talk Radio 77. Chance to move the body. Get some of that positive energy flowing through. Get up, Derek! Thank you. Ah, okay. See, doesn't it feel good to move? Yes. All right, let's head back to the telephones. Uh, let's go to Rockland County. Frank, you're on WABC Talk Radio 77. How are you, Frank? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm doing, I'm doing well. I just wanted to make a point, you know, how uh, important uh, uh, Rush was to me. You know, when I used to get a, like a, some kind of decision or something from the courts, and you you think you know what was going on, and you listen to Rush and realize you really didn't know what was going on. You know, so he really made a move like that on me, and then. Oops, we lost this call somehow. I don't know how that happened. Um, you know what Rush used to say? And I, I love this. He used to say, "I he made the complex understandable," and that was something that he did on a regular basis. Could take a complex issue break it down and put a perspective on it so that everybody could understand it. And let's continue in Rockland County and check in with Ernest. Ernest, you're on WABC Talk Radio 77. How are you this morning? Good morning, Mr. Golden. God bless you. A uh, couple of points real quick. Number one, you want to steer the court, make the judge and the clerk recognize the flag. The Pledge of Allegiance says this is a republic, and a republic is a commonwealth, not a democracy. A commonwealth means the state and the people. Point number two, you want Engeron off? He's under arrest for violating the canon, C-A-N-O-N, canon laws. There's only five. He's in violation. He's a monarch. His robe is off. He's under arrest. Letitia James, she's under arrest. Look at the pictures of her in front of the podium featuring the great seal of the state of New York. Under Lady Liberty's left foot, there's a crown, and it's thrown down under Lady Liberty's foot to signify the lessening of the monarchy. We're under American rule of law with the flag. We've been, we've been ruled over by foreigners. Letitia James has pictures in front of a fictitious seal, the seal of New York. She's under do arrest. You, do you honestly really think that that ought, Let me ask you a question, Ernest. You're a smart guy. Do you really expect that to happen? Seriously? I do. It, I do, no. sir, because here's me, why. No, 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 Ernest. Seriously. No one's going to even take that seriously. And I'm not trying to be mean. Oh, she's under a fake seal. It's like no one even, half the people in America on the Democrats, I don't even know what a seal is when you start talking about a seal on a flag or why it should matter, any of that matters. Look, you have to get serious about this stuff. And I, what you said about actually the judge should be held to account legally, I totally agree with you. At some point, there should be accountability for what took place in that courtroom. And I agree with you on that 100%. Sir, but, so write three letters, three letters to the, the New York State Judiciary Ethics Committee. Three letters, handwritten letters, will remove who's, that Who's judge. reading those letters? Who's reading those letters? 
you just said it, the New York State Judiciary Committee. Do you honestly expect them to act on what these corrupt judges in New York and, and AG have done? They are part of the same machine. Do you honestly expect to go? That's like, oh, well, let me go to your superior. Mm, okay. You're out of the same political cookie cutter. Do you honestly think you're going to get justice in New York State, anywhere in New York State, for Donald Trump at this point that's going to be fair? Do you expect that, Ernest? Uh, sir, sir, this is a country of law. There's 54 No, no, it's of- not. This was a country of law. It is not right now. Right now, this is a country of political weaponry that the Democrats have figured out how to use to their political advantage. But I interrupted you. Let me let you finish. Go ahead. Sir, you're absolutely correct. They're weaponizing gossip and hearsay, just like E. Jean Carroll. There's no yep. blue dress with, with stains. Therefore, corpus delecti. No body, no murder. No stains, no rape. We, the people, or are in O.J. Simpson lingo, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Oh my God! Listen, I almost got on a jet and drove out to California after I saw and and choked that man because his dog committed him. When the cops dropped him off and OJ went up the driveway, the Akita dog backed up. Well, when he we're, went we're, we're not going to go back to that. That's too ancient history. Agree, sir. I uh, agree. Okay, look, Ernest, we got to go. I got to grab some other people here. I love you, man. Thank you. Uh, let's go. To Doreen in Long Island. Hi, Doreen. Welcome. You're on the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. How are you? Hi, James. Nice to speak to you. Um, I just wanted to say that in the late 80s, my mother finally bought a condo in Florida, and I used to drive her down every year and then drive her back in September. And she used to say, let's listen to Rush. He's really good. And I'd say, Mom, I don't want to hear him. You know, I don't, oh, come on, let's just listen. And finally, I started listening, and I said, oh, my God, he's saying everything that I'm thinking, only I just can't get it out in words. And I started listening and listening, and then when 9-11 happened, I just couldn't get enough listening to him. He was like my beacon of light, and I just appreciated every single day listening to him. I would book my appointments around his show so I could get his show in. It just meant so much to me. Let me tell you something. First of all, Doreen, I hear the emotion and it moves me because I have it too. This is what is uncommon and what people that did not listen don't understand. Russia had 27 million listeners. 27 million listeners. On an average, there was a bond between, and you just heard it with Doreen, and you will hear it from so many people. It wasn't just some guy on the radio. It was somebody that added to their lives, that brought something into their lives. Not just the humor, not just the clarity. Of, of, of understanding American politics or what was happening in the country. There was a level of trust. 
I trust this guy to tell me the truth about what's going on, to explain things, because I know that he's actually done the work and he has looked into this with a microscope and with an unfailing intellect, that he can explain things to me and I get it. And he used to demonstrate it by providing facts on the to to buttress his opinion. But there was also this unbridled optimism, and I keep going back to that. Because so often the news that we get on a daily basis is depressing. Like this stuff, it's depressing. Watching this, this ghettoized courtroom in Georgia is depressing for people that believe in the American judicial system. Watching what has happened with this, this Eugene Carroll case, depressing that we could actually stoop this low to not recognize that a, a salacious allegation should not merit this kind of verdict. Depressing to believe that your own country won't enforce its border laws. Depressing to watch criminals roam the streets of your cities and kill innocent people, kill innocent children. Depressing to see, after all the years we struggle to become a better people, this reversion back into racial hatred that is taking place, and the people, in many cases, that are spewing the hatred of those that were oppressed. And now they've taken on the roles of the haters. It's depressing to watch this. It's depressing to see what's going on when the world seems to be lining up against your country, and meanwhile your country is twiddling its thumbs worrying about whether boys are girls or boys are girls. Stupidity. Depressing. But what Rush used to do was explain things through the lens of optimism and also explain that our aspirations for this country are valid, that we want a nation and we are a good people, a great people, who want other people, our fellow citizens, to prosper and to have all that the American dream has to offer. And that America isn't over. That's still the land of opportunity. That work, determination, belief in yourself is still important. And that belief in God, the almighty God, is still the driving force that guides this nation. Those were the kind of things he talked about. And that's why people loved him. And that's why people like Doreen here can call. And you can hear her voice break, describing how this man on the radio was her friend. It's true. Thank you, James. Thank you. Thank you, Doreen. (laughs) We're coming back right after this, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go away. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Comes, and we raised this question earlier. There's an article in Politico this morning. What happens if Trump doesn't pay? 
so let me go through a few of those little details here. Uh, Donald Trump's company is not public. He hasn't. Uh, it, re, he hasn't released his tax return. So Politico says his cash flow situation is shrouded in mystery. Even if he has four hundred and forty million dollars in cash, think about that on hand, and it's far from clear that he does. Paying the judgments could wipe out his accounts. And believe you me, that is exactly what these people wanted. Wipe him out. Destroy him. Destroy him. If he doesn't have the cash on hand, would he have to sell his properties? Trump would likely have to sell something, although it wouldn't necessarily have to be property. He could sell investment or other assets. What happens if he resists paying? If, listen very carefully to this, my friends, if the civil fraud case, which is in the New York State Court, if Trump cannot post the funds or get a bond, then the judgment would take effect immediately, and a sheriff could begin seizing Trump's assets. They can come in and just take his life's Seize it. The rules are slightly different in federal court, which is the venue of the 83.3 million judgment against Trump for, I'm going to say, allegedly defaming the writer E. Jean Carroll with that ridiculous lawsuit. She could pursue post-judgment discovery under jurisdiction of the judge who, uh, who presided over that witch hunt. And uh, her uh, her attorney, Roberta Kaplan, says, I think he's going to have to pay. Whether it requires him to sell or put a lien on something to get a loan, that's his problem, not ours. If he can't afford other judgments, he would have to declare bankruptcy. Can he delay the payment by appealing the verdicts? No. Nope. In all three cases, he has to put money in an escrow account with the courts or get a bond while he is appealing. So they have hurt him. And these people are out to do nothing less than destroy this man entirely. They want to destroy him. They want to destroy his family. This is the Democrat response to a president that they don't like, a person that they don't like. They want to destroy him, and they are using America's judicial system to do that. Now, I said earlier, there's going to be there's a lot of anger out here, and there's going to be a lot more. There's anger online. You can see it. Some of the names that these judges are being called, no matter how well-deserved, are, are evidence of how angry people are. And that anger is a dangerous thing, too, in our political system. We have seen in this country the worst that can happen in politics. We've seen it multiple times. We've seen it, those of you from New York, remember Senator Bobby Kennedy. We saw what happened to John Kennedy. We, see, we have seen what happens in the political world in this country. And when you have fringe people that are not connected to reality, and fringe people go off 
horrible things happen. We see this, not just in the political field. We'll, we're seeing this in so many aspects of American life. And so I am very concerned. I'm very concerned that some fringe person will do something that will be very regrettable. I'm concerned about it. I pray it does not ever happen in this country. I pray that people can keep their anger. And am I saying that somebody that's pro-Trump would? No, I'm not saying that at all, because there are people in this country that are willing to do anything for politics. Anything. Anything to defame people that support Donald Trump. That's also a danger. There are people who will do anything, and we have seen that. This is a very dangerous time. And these things, these decisions that are being made are putting this country at risk because they are destroying people's confidence in the rule of law. And if a country does not have a foundation that's based in law and a surety that people feel that they will be treated fairly by the law, then people act out in all kind of ways. This is dangerous to the American Republic, what is taking place. It is dangerous for a political party to weaponize the, 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 the government and to use the government to attack, wound, hurt, destroy individuals that are opposed to their political party. And that is what we are seeing here. This is a time where Princess Di says one of the things that we have to do is go back to our motto as a country, which is, in God we trust. And those are not mere empty words. One of the things that I have to do constantly is remind myself that despite everything that I know about politics, think about politics, believe about politics, that at some point I have to detach from that and realize that the, 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 the fate of this nation is not in my hands, it's not in any of our hands, it's in God's hands. And we have to have faith that the right thing will emerge. And I am very optimistic that hopefully after this example of what pure partisanship is doing to this country, that the right thing will happen, and that we will self-correct as a nation that we will have elections that the overwhelming majority of American citizens, regardless of whatever party they in, that they are in, can say this was a fair election. We have to get back to that as a nation. We have to get back to, as a nation, having a judicial system where it doesn't matter what color you are, what political party you belong to, what your political beliefs are, what your gender is, or any of these external conditions, we have to get back to a nation where you feel that if you walk into an American courtroom, be it at a municipal level, at a local level, at, at the state level, or at a federal level, that you will be granted a fair trial and a fair, a fair proceeding, regardless of any other circumstance. That is part and parcel of the American dream. That's part and parcel of what everything that our ancestors endured and suffered through on this amazing journey from where America started to where it is now.
And that is where we have to strive to get back to. And we cannot get back to that without people of goodwill. Without people who say, regardless of whatever circumstance, I'm going to work and do my best to ensure that this nation survives. It's going to take a lot of work for us to dig us out of this place that we are in right now. This place that we have been put in by one political party determined to seize power for themselves. There should be accountability for these, for what has taken place in New York. It's not American. This is so anti everything that this country is about. Our duo in the can. Hour three coming up. We're going to hear from Princess Di. We have a small message today. She's on the road from America's small caffeinated mom. Ron Distracting, we have your telephone calls coming up. 800-848-WABC. Hour two in the can, hour three. Our trio coming up. Keep it right here on Bo Snurdly, Saturday morning radio extravaganza, WABC. A.K.A. Bo Snerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome, my friends, our number trio here on WABC Talk Radio 77. We have lots of calls on hold, and thank you for your patience. We'll be, we'll be getting to some of those calls, all of them, very soon. A lot of people want to talk about what is happening with the fanny. What is happening with the Trump verdict and their stories about Rush Limbaugh? This, the third anniversary of Rush's passing on WABC. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time. It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. My Highness. That sounds a little odd. My Royal Highness. Her Highness, the one, the only, Princess Di is with us right now. Good morning, my princess. How are you? Good morning, Sir James. It's always so wonderful to speak with you. Diana, I'm, I'm going to throw you a because I didn't tell you I wanted to talk with you about this. I introduced you in the first hour to people um, for the 30 years that we spent together working with Rush uh, ladies and gentlemen, Diana, Princess Di, yours on the line with us right now, was the editrix. That was her name, given by Rush, of the Limbaugh letter. The Limbaugh letter, of course, the most highly successful political newsletter in American history. And on this, the third anniversary of Rush's death, I wanted to talk with Diana about her memories of Rush, what he meant to her, what it was like working on the newsletter. Diane, before we do that, Diana, we had so many people that worked with us. It wasn't, when I say so many, by standards of what the show was, it was a small shop. 
because we didn't, Rush never did all this bloated hiring with multiple people to do the same thing. The Limbaugh letter crew was a small crew that did that incredible work of putting together the Limbaugh letter all of those years. You were there from the very, from issue number one. I remember the day that you came in to the studios with your fine self. Um, <laughs> and uh, wearing that black dress. Lordy, lordy, lordy. Um, and um, we had great people, Kathleen, for instance, and George, that George ran the website. They were, they were brought over from Russia's TV show. Kathleen ran the, the, the sounds, Gleason. Um, and we had, of course, they had their people, Joe Munez and Greg. And, and then we had people like Mojo and, and all these guys on the website. Mike Mamone, the constant broadcast engineer. Dawn and Brian in the studio with me down in Florida, but it was a small shop. It was, but it was, a, and it was a, it was a family. You had Denise on the on the website. Talk to us about your experience and talk to us about who Rush was to you, what he is to you. Wow, that's that is yes. I feel the same way you do. It becomes more emotional as time passes, which surprises me as well. Uh, I think that I often see online people missing Rush and saying so. I miss Rush so much today. And the expectation when some large news breaks, especially, people want to know what Rush would have thought. And it's impossible to say, because as you remember, you and I would try and predict. And we were with him every day. And we would try and predict when a news uh, story would break, what do you think Rush's take's going to be? And I right. don't think we ever got it right. I don't think we ever got it right. He was such an original mind, an original thinker, brilliant, creative, and he would put uh, stories together you wouldn't expect, and he would do it entertainingly with fun and often music and parodies, but there was no way to predict how he would perceive any event. And it would always, as you say, end up being informative, easy to remember, clear, and make you feel good because he would often make you laugh as he was explaining things. So I would say that was, you know, one of the uh, hallmarks of working for him was, first of all, the admiration that we felt because you saw the bravery he was a courageous man, as you say. He went. He didn't really care what the rules were for what you were allowed to say on the radio, and he said what he genuinely thought. He was he was an honest broker, and also the fun. I mean, it was just a good time to work there and exciting. And you know, part of it was because you never knew what would happen. You never knew what he would you know start an event such as if you remember. The uh, Fort Collins uh, rushed oh. rush uh, Woodstock, which we had, which was in the beginning of the newsletter, and how that how that grew. That uh, Dan's bake sale was what, what what it was called. But one of the one of the things that you know, still to this day, I think you see the effect of Rush's legacy because, in my view, he saved free speech, especially for the right, because as you mentioned that. When he first started saying things on the air, people were shocked and afraid. Can he say that? Is he allowed? It was near to illegal for a conservative position to be said out loud in any media. 
And so it was such a bracing, wonderful feeling when you had someone on the air actually say what you thought in your heart of hearts, but didn't think you were allowed to say out loud. And of course, that is what the left did to us as a country for many years before Rush came on the scene. And they're trying to do it again, but it's much harder because once you let that genie out of the bottle, free speech, people hold on to it. And I think right now what you're seeing with the firing of so many journalism journalists and the, the uh, death of many newspapers happening all over the place is one of the results of people not buying the party line of the left, not wanting to read or support uh, media that is uh, full of lies from the left. And I think that that courage that Rush brought was infectious. And I think it lives on to this day. And I think that, you know, his legacy, one of the legacies that he will be remembered for was keeping alive the flame of freedom in America. And all of that, everything that you said, I totally 100%, of course, agree with. But who was he? Talk to us about who he was to you, the guy, the, the, the guy. Never mind the, the, the media guy, the guy, the man. Well, in real life, he was much uh, quieter, I guess, than yeah. when he was on yeah. the air. <laughs> when yes. he would sit in the Atlanta Hun chair and he would be rocking when the music came on, literally rocking in his chair. He enjoyed every minute. He came alive with that big personality, that booming voice in person. He was uh, a gentle, a little shy, I would say, but kind, although tough, he expected the people who worked for him to exhibit the highest standards, and we wanted to, and we did. We tried our best because his approval and pleasing him was the best reward in itself. I remember when I, before I got the job, I would listen to the show, and I really thought it was this enormous, like, warehouse floor full of human beings scurrying here and there, bringing him news thousands of people because he he created that that feeling on the air that this was an empire which it was of the mind but when i met him and when i saw the operation at as you say it was literally a handful of people in the studio i was very shocked at how few people it took because it all needed all it needed was rush Rush was the show. He had a lot of support people. I think you were key as far as in on the air, having him able to go back and forth and have that reaction you would get. That was you were very important for how he would speak to the full audience. But I think that one of the things, as you're asking the question, which surprised me in in real life was how quiet and how non-imposing he was. He listened extremely well. And when he was interested, as you were making a point in any meeting, he would get this sponge-like attitude. You and I talked about it. If you were saying something, especially if you were giving a good piece of analysis in a meeting, he would basically glom onto you and absorb everything you were saying. It was a really interesting thing. He would just absorb it. He would learn it. He would put it into that great mind of his, and it would come out so much better than what you had said, because he would put his spin on it. But he was a wonderful listener. 
and he absorbed all of the details of the news every day. Do you remember? I remember when he was sick and I was listening from Florida um, on the show and we had he was away and we had a substitute host and he decided to call in just to basically there was some event I don't remember what that he wanted to explain to the audience and he was literally on for 20 minutes and in 20 minutes he rearranged all of how you thought about all the news uh, events of that day all of a sudden there was it was like a camera turning into focus it was click he made everything clear everything and as soon as he was done all that needed to be said was said and it was just a tour de force and he did that every single day he came prepared every day and the and the show prep would never stop that's what he said life is show prep and he would right. just continue to just just everything um but also you know the the generosity of this man which is you look at this and and this is one of the things that I feel most sorry I feel most proud about he didn't care about your politics when it came to things causes that he got behind leukemia Rush Limbaugh and that audience raised, I believe it has to be over the years that he did the, the telethon for leukemia, had had raised some unbelievable amount of money. I want to say that it was it, it is definitely in the hundreds of millions of dollars for leukemia research. Right. And leukemia is a disease that strikes can strike anybody, anywhere, from babies to the elderly. And it was never anything about the politics about that. It was, let's find a cure for this disease. There were so many other things. At Christmas, raising money for children that had lost their parents uh, from the law enforcement communities. He was a big sponsor, like Mayor Rudy is, of uh, Tunnel to Towers, what happened after 9-11. And he didn't just get on the air and talk about them. He put his own wealth behind these charitable efforts. And often so many cases came out after he passed away where people said, I'm sorry again, excuse me. I was just remembering one and, or two people call in and would say, you know what? I live here and there. My, I had something happen to me in my life, they would explain, and the next thing they know, they got a check from Rush Limbaugh. Never expected it. And he told them, don't tell anybody. Don't, don't share this information. This is, this is who he was, this generosity that he had um, and wanting to share things. And he would talk about that, that he liked to share the things that, that, that he found in his life, whether it was him giving away uh, uh, tech products. He was, of course, this huge Apple guy. And would just give stuff away. He he was a generous soul. Speak. Do you want to add anything there, Diana? Well, I think that you know you're right. That was one of his gifts, and and he gave me an amazing, generous gift, which he told me exactly that. Never tell anybody, and I never will. We're gonna take a break. Princess Diana is here with us. We're gonna move on to talk about some news of the day when we get back. We wanted to. I wanted to remember Rush with Princess Di. She was there with me, with us, all of us that worked on that amazing show with that amazing man. 
When we get back, we'll cover some of the news of the day and then your phone calls coming up here on both Slurry Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Keep it right here. And the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see. No, I won't be afraid. Oh, I won't be afraid just as long. As you stand, stand by me. The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. The one the only Marvin Gaye brings us back on WABC. This from his iconic, What's Going On LP. Never gets old. That record is this record is I think this record's like fifty years old now. Really? Yeah. It's astounding because I still remember when it came out. Oh <laughs> Hey Princess Di, were you rocking on Marvin Gaye back in the day? <laughs> I I must admit I was. No. You were. You were. Yep. I, did you go through a hippie stage? Well, I I was hippie adjacent. My sister was a, a pretty much a hippie, and I thought she was cool, so I copied her a little. But I was I was a little bit more straight-laced, I guess. <laughs> so, so you had on the bell-bottoms, but you didn't put the flower in your hair. Yes. I did wear tie-dye shirts, but I, I didn't go beyond that. Do you have any pictures of you in tie-dyes? <laughs> Probably not. I, I don't think my parents, who were the photographers in my high school days, would have taken pictures of that. <laughs> oh, goodness. I remember when I came in the house and I had an earring in my ear and I had painted my fingernail. My father looked at me like, has this boy lost his mind? <laughs> of course, I was a musician. So I was just like, okay, I'm just, yeah. So I walk in. I got this earring stuck up in my ear. I have, of course, the, my, my I, and I only had one nail painted, right? Because I was going to be, this was the whole thing. I was going to do my own thing. I wasn't going to. My father looked at me like, what in the hell is this boy doing now? Uh, son, w- w- what is the significance of that nail being painted? <laughs> yeah. Well, those were the days. All right, so, Diana, Joe Biden in free fall. What, what, what's up with the polls here? Well, I was responding when I mentioned that I thought that would be a good topic, is a new Gallup poll. Here's the title, Political Economic Indicators Not Promising for Biden. Gallup <laughs> 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 probably was having to write that but you look at the numbers and only 20 percent of the of americans are satisfied with the country's direction that's the right track 
wrong track question, which is seen by pollsters to be the most significant indicator of how a president is going to do. And if only 20 percent of Americans believe that we are on the right track under Biden, he is in trouble. The other number that they highlight is only 35 percent of adults say it's easier to buy things at store at stores than it was three years ago. Fifty nine percent say it was not. So those two indicators show that Biden, his numbers are the worst for any modern day president. And they say that he is in trouble. Plus, an interesting question is how uh, the respondents believe that America is viewed abroad. And the majority believe that we are less respected in the world than we were three years ago. And three years ago, of course, was under Trump. So on all these major items, you have a real red flags for Biden. And another um, little detail, I don't know if you saw the story in Business Insider today, but the uh, Citibank's chief U.S. economist, uh, his name is Andrew Hollenhorst, he said there's no soft landing. The U.S. economy is going to fall into recession in the middle of 2024. And he's not alone. So there are a lot of analysts who are predicting while the White House continues to insist that the economy is getting better and everything is is, uh, roses and unicorns. And this shows that Biden is really in trouble and the Democrats know it. So I am so confused by this administration and they're they're on one hand, they're out touting all the economy is great. Everything's great. And then you had over Super Bowl weekend, the, the, instead Biden comes out and he starts complaining about how all the manufacturers are shrinking their products. And, and it's like, well, why, Joe? Why are they shrinking things? Why are they putting things in small and charging more money? Because of the inflation that you created. I mean, who lets this, how did they let that one slip? Well, well, who let the guy out into East Palestine, Palestine yesterday, where he blamed the entire accident on greed of the railroad owners? You know, so this is a guy who is blaming everyone else on economic problems than himself and his own policies. And it was the feds who made the railroad company burn the chemicals of the spill. They wanted to clean it up. And the federal government made that a toxic cloud, which is still affecting health in that area today. So they shouldn't let the guy out. He he really is somebody who will stick his foot in every time he speaks. Uh, speaking about sticking things in, have you been watching the Fanny fiasco down there in uh, in Georgia? The ghetto wise bill, uh, the, 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 the Jerry Springer trial on steroids. Where, where black people want to keep all their cash and we take it with us when we're going out. And so we can put it wherever we lay our heads, we put our cash. That's a black thing. What in the... I, 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 I didn't, have never heard that. And I was glad to hear you say that you had never heard it either. And I have to say, my Italian husband was a great believer in, as he said, dead presidents. And so I think it might be an Italian thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, seriously, this is what passes for, and uh, I just, I, the whole, okay. All right, uh, the roadblocks. Joe, I mentioned this with Derek. Uh, the Biden administration is already, they must think that Trump is going to win because they're already hedging their bets. 
They were already saying, okay, this Trump guy has said he wants to reorganize government. We're not going to let him do it. We're going to insulate government workers from being fired so that Donald Trump can't fire anybody. We're going to keep this big bloated government the way it is. And if Trump wins, he won't be able to do anything about it. This is stunning. Yes, and uh, that is the story. The Biden administration braces for possible Trump win, installs roadblocks to stop him from reshaping government. Because, James, nothing says democracy like thwarting the incoming president. And the fact is, as you say, they speak as if there's no chance that Trump is going to win. But their behavior belies that, because if it were true that they weren't worried about a Trump win, they wouldn't be uh, issuing lawfare against him in all these court cases. And they wouldn't be making preparation for Trump to stop Trump before he even gets in. And one of the things that they are actually trying to do is prevent Trump from firing what's called the Schedule F the political appointees, which the incoming president is allowed to fire. Trump wants to, according to early reports, including the Heritage Foundation report or plan, he wants to basically be able to expand the number of staffers who are considered political appointees so that he can put in people who will actually carry out his agenda. And this has the deep state, which, of course, that's what this is, the deep state, frightened because these are the minions. These are the people who carry out the agenda of the left, even if there's a Republican president. It's been happening for 100 years. And Trump figured it out and is coming in with a huge head of steam and is going to change that. I remember reading stories when Trump was first elected in 2016, he would follow up with questions after he would give an executive order or tell tell people what his policy was. He would actually follow up a week later and say, well, did you do what I had said? Did you enact it? And the, the, the media spun this of how dumb is Trump to actually expect government workers to carry out his agenda. They laughed at him because, first of all, they didn't expect to remember what he had said. They didn't expect him to actually follow up. But he's a CEO, so he wanted to know if it happened how he said. And the fact is they had clearly used this tactic with the Republican presidents in the past where the the Republican president would just move on to something else. And Trump never did. He would ask questions. He would follow up. And this was the thing that made them maddest. And so this is what they want to prevent from happening again, because they know he's on to them. He he knows exactly what he's looking at, and he's going to make sure that if he enacts a policy of the executive branch, which he has the constitutional power to do, that it will happen. And that is so frightening to them that they're trying to throw uh, monkey wrenches in there by um, changing the rule as to who can be Schedule F. And so the report I read from AP said that this will at least slow Trump down for months because he'll have to fight the legal battles. So 
you know, talk about, you know, a, an insurrection. They're beginning their insurrection already before the guy gets in. And it's of a piece with what Obama did after Trump was elected in 2016. The news came out this week of how involved Obama specifically was in the Russia hoax and making sure that that became the policy of of the government until Trump got in in twenty twenty in uh, January twenty of of twenty six seventeen. We have about a minute left. I just want to ask you quickly about these special elections. Of course, Republicans got rid of. We can't have a serial liar in our midst, George Santos. Let's get rid of him. So they got rid of him, and now we have a Democrat there. What's your take on the special elections here, and how that's going for the Republicans? The Federalist had a good piece, how many elections must high-polling Republicans lose to learn ballots matter more than votes. And the Federalist pointed out how many special elections Democrats had won, despite the polling being much closer. And so this is a warning, but we must stay optimistic. The temptation always is, what's the use? What's the point? They cheat. But as you said, the source of our optimism is in God we trust, and that is also the source of American exceptionalism. And so the blessings of liberty are ours if we maintain and determine to maintain our trust in God. Amen to that. Thank you, Princess Ty. Thank you for joining us, as always. Thank you, Sir James. WABC Talk Radio 77, your call is coming up. We got a short message today from America's Small Caffeinated Mom. She's on the road. We'll hear from her briefly. Your calls will be a major portion of the Saturday morning radio extravaganza as we keep it right here on WABC. Welcome, my friends. Saturday morning here on WABC. Glad you're with us. Welcome that your presence is indeed very pleasant here. Let us head back to the telephones. Robert, number one. We got a few Roberts on the lines. Let's go to Robert, number one, in Suffolk County. How are you, Robert? Trump needs to go on offense beside defense. Filing civil complaints to sue for violation of his civil rights. And number two, criminal complaints to hold these prosecutors, judges, and anyone else who has violated his civil rights under color of law. That's a felony under federal law and also state laws. Okay, let me ask you a question. What you proposed is certainly, let's say that this were a strategy. Right now, he's facing over 500, half a billion dollars in civil penalties and penalties that he has to do. 
We, I've heard reports that so far he's had to pay lawyers. We're talking in the hundreds of millions of dollars already for all of this legal activity that he's involved in. Lawfare is an expensive business. How is Trump supposed to afford to do all of this suing, suing here, suing there? I mean, we think, okay, billionaire, 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 but cash on hand is not, if, if the stories are correct, about how much money he's got to either put up in escrow and do all of it. Where's he supposed to get all this money from? They are literally trying to destroy his economic life, his financial health. They are trying to strip him of, they are trying a, this is full scale destruction that they are trying to do to this man. How is he supposed to, afford all of this? Oh, some can be on contingent because he has good evidence, I'm sure, and he can also get more evidence as the cases proceed, like through discovery, that would end up in convictions and also rulings that the government and these people who are prosecuting him and making decisions that violate his civil rights, they are liable and will have to pay. All right. I'm not convinced that this is going to happen. I'm telling you, this is, it sounds good in theory. This is a difficult position that they put Donald Trump in. Very difficult. And I don't think we need to underestimate. It's going to appeal. He's going to win. He's going to do that. These people are literally trying to destroy this man and any capabilities he has to defend himself. Let us go to Joaquin in Pennsylvania. You held yesterday for a long time. We didn't get to you. Yeah. How you doing, Joaquin? How are you? Uh, not too good, actually, but that's all right. Look, you know what? Our, our legal system has been Putinized as to what they're doing to Mr. Trump. But uh, anyway, what I wanted to call you about, I want to thank you for having a very amusingly successful Mistress Day. Aha. Uh-huh. Explain. You know? Explain yourself. Uh, okay. <laughs> I have my, my lovely wife of 42 years. I also call her Princess Diana. And uh, so anyway, she kept reminding me that, you know, Valentine's Day is coming and she loves those chocolate-covered strawberries like most women do. So every day she's calling me to tell me chocolate-covered strawberries, right? So I had already gotten them, and I put them in the refrigerator on Monday night or actually Tuesday morning because I work in the evenings. And uh, so we don't really see each other that often. And so you had talked about Mistress Day. And so then she calls me to remind me about the chocolate-covered strawberries. And I say, hey, honey, you know what today is? Today is Mistress Day. You know what that is? She goes, what? And I says, well, that's where you take care of your mistress. You know, on Valentine's Day, you take care of your wife. And she flies off the handle on the phone. You have a mistress? And she's just carrying on trying to say, no, 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 no. I'm trying to tell you, you're my mistress. Your presence in the refrigerator. And then finally... I get, I get through, and uh, she goes, oh, you got me chocolate-covered stories, strawberries? I'll be your mistress. <laughs> Love it. Well, I hope that um, you had the uh, due appreciation uh, for all of those efforts. I'm thinking of James Ingram in Find 100 Ways, you know. Yes, yes, my friends. Hope you had a wonderful Valentine's Day, for sure. 
Robert, number two in New York. How are you, Robert? Hi, uh, Mr. Golden. Thanks for taking my call. I first started listening to Rush in the early 90s. had the pleasure of talking on the phone and meeting him at a social event, and you have truly inherited his mantle. Thank you very much. The the reason why I called is I need some help. I was brought up in a two-parent home. Uh, One parent was a Republican, the other was a Democrat, so there were some lively discussions at home. But tantamount, I was always taught about respect for the value of work, law and order, things like that. And even for a few uh, years, I actually thought I wanted to be a lawyer, but uh, managed not to do that. But the point is, I now have grandchildren. I have six grandchildren, and they're at, some of them are younger, but some are middle school age. How do I help them understand that the justice system is no longer fair in a lot of instances? Uh, also, the price of justice is often very high, but let's leave that aside for the moment. How do I help them understand? They're, without being too terribly political, they're their parents, my daughter's a Democrat, so is my my son-in-law. They're great people. Uh, but how do you help kids understand that this institution of justice that we used to be hallowed uh, isn't so anymore? I could use your well, advice. Well, here, here, here's how. Here's how. Because history does not run the course of a straight line. It never does. And if you go back and, and see, I just put yourself in the position of Americans that were that did not have their legal rights at the beginning of our country that would include women who by the way were not full participants in the american experience legally in many instances that would of course include those that were enslaved so how do we justify this this american system well our framers put together a system of that withstands the ebbs and the flows of of what happens and we have evolved as a nation. Now, right now, we're having a bit of a setback. And so the way to explain this is that this is not a straight line. And this is up to you. You are the Americans that will have to rectify what is wrong with this country. We are an ever-evolving nation. But this is, this is and this is what I loved about Dr. King. Dr. King spoke f- about America's weakness from the position of perfecting the American experience, not dismantling it. And this is what we have to task the next generation with. Yes, there are things that are happening right now that go against everything that we believe should be taking place in America. Our institutions of law being threatened by this political cronyism and this political warfare that Democrats have, have, have flung upon this nation. But it's up to you, your generation, to rectify this as your responsibility toward ensuring that the American dream is alive for your children and be optimistic. We are still a young country and we need to keep that in mind. We have, we live in a world where there are countries that have been established thousands of years ago. If you go to Egypt, Egypt has been around thousands of years. Go to China. They have dynasties that go back thousands thousands of years. America is young. We are not even at, at the half, at 500 centuries yet. We are a young nation, and we have a future here, but it will require each generation to do their part. 
Now, right now, Democrats have put this country in a real pickle. But we have people like you who understand the American dream. You have kids. Teach them. And then tell them their responsibilities. We have to continue the fight and be optimistic. In God we trust. That's how. Got to take a break. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, here with you. Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza continues. Keep it right here. James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Ah, yes. The one, the only, Diana Ross. Valerie Simpson, Nick Ashford song. Classic. Ain't no mountain high enough. On WABC Talk Radio 77, Usually at this time, we check in with America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock. She's on the road this week, but she left us this message. This is America's small caffeinated mom with a special message just for you. It was Valentine's Day this week, and so I spent some time thinking about love. I thought about the different kinds of love that we know, the love between parents and children, the love between siblings, the love between friends, the love between lovers. The truth is that we were made for love, you and I. We were made to give it, made to receive it. It is this giving and receiving of love in secure, warm human relationships that brings richness and meaning to our lives. Here's the thing about giving. We cannot give what we do not have. And so today I speak specifically to the one who does not know real love. If you say things to and about yourself that you would never say to, or about another person, this is you. If you can give grace and mercy and forgiveness to others, but not to yourself, this is also you. Conversely, if you are hard and intractable, cold, filled with arrogance and pride, this is you as well. Excessive self-love is not real love, and those around you will feel it. It's the roundup in the garden of life, and it kills the true and the good. The kind of love that calms our fears, cures our ills, and heals our wounds flows from a river eternal. When my sons were were small and they were secure and happy in the love of their father and I, they were carefree, free to live their lives, to play with happy abandon. They were free to be just what they were, children. That is the kind of love we are meant to know, and that is the kind of love that we can have. In the garden of life, it is love that makes everything grow. It's the original miracle grow, and I want you to have it. I want you to know it. I want you to feel it, and I want you to give it. From America's small caffeinated mom, I send my love, and I'll see you next week. Yes, that's my love for you. Rhonda Schrocker at America's small caffeinated moms. Time to wrap up the show with We Got It. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, presents Rapid Phones. 
Let us go to Mike in Queens, who has been waiting patiently. Mike, what is on your mind this Saturday morning? Fanny's lawyer daddy is a commie. He worked for Mandela in South Africa. He was going to retire in South Africa. Last night, Newsmax said that uh, Fanny's daddy was dating Angela Davis, the commie from California. They're also making a documentary of this hearing. I'm sure it's going to be left-wing. Wow. Well, look, I, I don't dispute you on the left-wing credentials. I do want to just say one thing about when you mentioned Mandela as a commie. Mandela was a commie because the Western nation shunned him. And they shunned the people of South Africa, the black people of South Africa's demands for freedom under an oppressive apartheid regime. So when you want freedom for your people and the people that say they are for liberty and freedom don't support you, and all of a sudden the so-called commies come in and say, hey, we'll help you, you're going to join forces with whoever is going to help you obtain your freedom. The United States made a critical error in South Africa during those years, not supporting the liberty and the freedom that the South African people deserved. And Nelson Mandela, to me, yes, the a his, his party, yes, no one is going to dispute that they had ties with communists. They had ties with communists because the Western world shunned them. And that's why. And I just wanted to put that on the record, something I feel a little strongly about. Uh, Ralph in New Rochelle, you're up next. Good morning, Mr. Golden. I just want you to know that people ought to remember history. These people persecuting Donald Trump are taking a page right out of the 1940s Soviet playbook where the chief of the secret police said, show me the man and I will find you the crime. And everybody Boom. ought to be careful because they will go after anybody that goes against what their program is. And many of these companies better sit back and look at what's happening in New York, and like you said earlier, they're going to flee this state, collapse the tax base, and we are all going to be screwed. And they ought to look very closely. If, the, if these Democrats can do that to Trump, they'll do it to you, too, if you get on their bad side. Johnny in Sullivan County, you're up next. Johnny, how are you doing? Well, how are you? Fantastic show, like always, and I agree with you 100% as far as Nelson Mandela Nelson Mandela goes, he was a great man, no matter what his affiliation. However, this judge, Engeron, I was actually before him in the civil court quite a few years ago. And back then, he seemed same fine. He treated me fairly. But he got his promotion to the Supreme Court and obviously drank the Kool-Aid. There was something that the Trump lawyers could have done when they saw that he was unstable. They could have filed what's called a writ of prohibition where everything stops and the appellate court reviews his conduct and decides whether or not he should be removed from the case. However, having said that, your point about them all being cut from the same cloth is 100% accurate. This state is in a disaster role. And the judicial system in the state, considering what I went through when I got hurt with my injury, you wouldn't believe what I went through with the attorneys. The doctors were phenomenal. The lawyers were the worst form of life on the face of this earth. God bless you, Bo. You're the best. Thank you. God bless you, Johnny. Gracie, my Gracie. I can't think of a... How are you, Gracie? How you doing? A little bit sad, uh, but what today is. But I have to relate a story 
Robert number two. When uh, Obama was president, I ha- I was with my granddaughter. She's uh, now 21, but Obama was president. Okay, um, nanny, what's socialism? I and does and I said, oh, let me see if I could explain it to you. Obama is a socialist. So what is a socialist? I said, well, you know, L, you uh, you know how in your house you have like five bathrooms. Well, is that fair that you should have five bathrooms and and other people only have one? Nanny, nanny, is Obama coming to take all my my extra televisions? That's how you bring it down to the children's level. And I have to say, thank God, she's uh, they're they're all a little conservatives, the four of them, and they're old now, and they Gracie. know about and they know about Rush. Amen. What a great note to leave on. Uh, happily have oh, wow. Rush in heaven, year three, today. Thank you all. Love and gratitude for your being here with me and allowing me to be with you. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you, your family, your loved ones. And God willing, we'll see you again on Monday for Bo Stanley's Rush Hour at 4 p.m. Until then, bye. <laughs>